Welcome to the Gate 7 International Podcast, your official source for all things Libyakos and Greek soccer. I'm your host, Adi Bulubasis, and we have here Costa, those that you know from Libyakos EU, and of course, our special guest, the mystery guest that was revealed, the one, the only, Stelio Yanakopoulos. Uh, Mr. Yanakopoulos, thank you so much for joining us today. How are you doing? Hello, guys. It's my pleasure being with you. And uh, I want to, to salute all the Olympiacos and not only Olympiacos, all the Greeks around the world that uh, listening to the, to the podcast. Say a big uh, hello. And uh, of course, in this uh, difficult period, try please and stay safe. Thank you so much for the well wishes. And thank you again. It's an honor to have you here. I know the majority of our listeners, the Greek Americans, the Greeks, they all watched you during your Euro 2004 victory. Most of us watched you growing up. You're a legend to most of us. So it's a huge honor to have you here. And even the non-Greek fans that may not know you as well, uh, this is a huge moment for them to get insight into a player that had so much experience at the professional level and competing at the highest level. So we wanted to get started and ask you about kind of your background and experience as you grew up uh, as a football player. So when did you know that you wanted to become a professional football player? Right, so we have to go back uh, a few years. I was born in 1974 in, uh, in Athens. I grew up in a neighborhood called uh, Yani in Athens. And my father was a footballer as well. So uh, I'm coming from a, from a football family and uh, I grew up with a football in my, in my heart, I should say, because uh, I loved it so, so much. Not because my father played it, but I loved it as well. Uh, so from the first memories, I remember myself as a, a young boy, very young, very little. I remember myself with a, with a football uh, even in my bed. I loved and I still love football uh, very, very much. It's uh, one of the biggest loves uh, in my life, uh, besides with uh, my family, obviously. Of course. And it, that's something that sticks with us our whole lives. Now, when you were growing up and you were beginning to play, what football players in Greece or in Europe were your role models, your inspiration? In my era, uh, you know, it was not uh, the today's uh, privilege of all the young boys that uh, they have the internet, they have a tablet, they can type a name, they can type anything in the internet so they can find anything they want, depend uh, the interest they have. In my times, uh, when I was young, uh, I am uh, the generation that have uh, first seen the, the video, the video cassettes, the videotapes. And I remember that uh, I had both... Uh, a videotape of uh, Pelé, one uh, videotape of uh, Maradona, and uh, one videotape of uh, Johan Cruyff. So these were my, my big heroes in that times. I tried to, to copy every little move that uh, they were making during games. And I was trying to copy and paste them in my training sessions and in my games, depending on uh, the age group that I was playing for. So with doing that, you know, Obviously, I have my own dreams as a young footballer. You know, you can never stop dreaming when you're a small child and especially when you want to become a professional footballer in the highest level. I was always dreaming myself becoming one day one of those guys that I was watching in the videotapes. 
Of course. Uh, any Greek players? Yeah, Greek players, uh, many of them. Uh, Dimitris Aravakos, uh, Nikos Anastopoulos, Thomas Mavros. You know, they were players They were very, very highly rated in uh, that times. And uh, obviously, regarding the Greek football, they were uh, like a Greek gods in uh, them days. So all the small kids, uh, regardless uh, what uh, team they supported, you know, they were admiring these big players, big talented football players, and uh, they wanted to look like them. Stelio, when you started to play football, you know, all, all the players you mentioned, they're, they're strikers or they're kind of number 10s, attacking players. When you started playing, did you start playing on the wing or how, you know, we'll, we'll remember you as, as the number seven, or at least I do. It was like the guy on the right-hand side, uh, inside yeah. forward, scoring lots of goals. Did you start playing out wide from the beginning or how, how did that come uh, along? No, you know, when you start playing football, uh, the most important thing is to, you have to enjoy playing it. So when I was little, I was all over the place. You know, where the, when you saw, you saw one in football, I was behind that football. So uh, I was putting my foot uh, in every place of the, of the field, you should say. But uh, as the, the time was uh, passing, you know, and I was uh, registered in the academy football and uh, after taking part in the first team, you know, you need to have your role, you need to focus in a, in a position. And of course, your coach needs to focus to you as well in order to take the best of you. So we found out uh, that uh, the best position for me was to play mostly, of course, attacking football and uh, especially on the right-hand side. When you were growing into this position, especially when you were younger, what do you believe was the reason for your success as a young player in Greece? You know, it's, it's very simple to say, but uh, it's very hard to apply. And uh, one big word uh, that uh, describes uh, very, very well of that is uh, sacrifice. Yes. And uh, by sacrificing things like uh, a night out with your friends, an extra hour, hour with your girlfriend, right. uh, an extra time out, you know, and uh, have some, uh, something more to eat. All the small things that uh, all the normal people enjoy in the everyday life, you have to, to get out of them. And uh, at the same time, when you need to, to train, explore even more every day, day in, day out in the training. You have to explore new levels in yourself. Uh, you need to go further. You need to go deeper, you know, in order to complete uh, your, your football character and not only your football character, your character in general. You know, because it's uh, football, it's not only on the pitch, it's uh, outside the pitch as well. Oh, of course. Um, now, we do have some younger listeners. In fact, we have more to this question. A question from uh, one of the young players at the Libyakos DC Academy. Uh, they wanted yeah. to know what advice you have for them as young players, some of who are, think, you know, they want to play professional football or at least in, in, the, in college here in the university in the United States. What advice would you give them? You know, the advice is uh, simple and I'm positive. I'm 100% sure that they can hear this uh, piece of advice from their coaches as well in the age groups that uh, they're in. You know, you have to, to commit yourself. You have to, to train hard. You have to dream big if you want to become something. And uh, as I said before, you need to sacrifice. 
So if you put all these combination together, I think you maximize the opportunity becoming a professional top uh, football player. And uh, first and foremost, you need uh, the talent as well, because uh, lots of kids, they want to become, they want to go, they have dreams, but unfortunately, not everyone can make it in the top level. And uh, this is one of the most frustrating things that uh, a young footballer can have in his, uh, in his career. So unfortunately, football is not for everybody at the highest level, for professional highest level. Uh, it's very, very good, uh, of course, to socialize and uh, to enjoy the game, even if you cannot make it, uh, if it makes you happy. But uh, unfortunately, when you're going to go in the professional uh, side of it, it's not for everybody. I think uh, the word that you mentioned earlier was sacrifice, wanting it and, and dreaming big. I think those are, you know, yeah. that's all those things that you mentioned. I, I want to start transitioning now into your professional career and start by asking you a question about your coaches. Now, you, yeah. you played under, under a few iconic coaches, I would say, including Sam Allardyce in, in England, Otto Rehagel, uh, Dusan Bajevic. And I wanted to ask you, did you have a favourite coach? Perhaps it's not, it's somebody else other than one of those that I mentioned. What did you learn from them? You know, different things that you learned from those coaches and was there a particular system that you enjoyed playing in? Right, that's a very nice question. As you grow up, you would go back uh, the days that uh, you were playing football and uh, you remember, I remember uh, things uh, during games, during uh, training sessions. And uh, I should say that uh, from every, every coach that I had in my career, since I was a little boy until I finished playing professionally, I tried to take uh, the best out of every manager that I have uh, worked with. So every manager, either it was a, a, a long time with me, you know, in, in, the, in the team, or a short period of time, it was a big lesson for me. And uh, from everybody of them, I took a, a small piece and put it in my game. So uh, even a negative one, it was helpful for me in order to avoid mistakes in the future. So whoever the manager was, I took only the, the positives and I used the negatives as an example not to follow, if you understand what I'm trying to say. Especially now, because I'm a manager myself, that was uh, the best lessons that I could have uh, for my managerial career because uh, it can indicate uh, to a manager, to a young manager like myself, the mistakes that... Uh, I don't need to make and the positive that I have to keep in order to put it in my personal agenda and uh, create my own uh, managerial uh, character. Great. Now, um, I, I want to stick to one of the questions that I was asking about the system because when you were playing football or yeah, when, when, and when I was a lot younger, I always, uh, we, we always watched a lot of 442. 442 yeah. was a very, uh, popular yeah. formation for Olympiacos even we played 4-4-2 uh, we were I, for me one of the best attacking teams down the wing with you and Mavro Yanidis on the right hand side Jorgatos and, and Jorzevic on the other it was it was an amazing team and the focus was a lot down the wings Manchester United with Dennis Irwin Ryan Giggs Gary Neville David Beckham now yeah I'm getting to my question which is about the day that Otto Rehagel asked you to play on the left 
against Spain. Uh, yeah. That game when you you cut inside, you hit the ball outside the box, and that was the beginning of our, let's say, journey to Euro 2004, essentially. And now today in football, we rarely actually see wingers that play with, you know, the right foot on the right-hand side. We see a lot of inverted wingers or inside forwards. And I may have heard a previous interview of yours where you've said that, I think when Otto Rehago asked you to play on the left, initially you were not, not so warm about the idea. But, yeah. but in the end, we saw that, you know, it led to, it led to a 1-0 victory over Spain and, and a great goal. But towards the end of your career, would you say that you enjoyed playing out on the left more than you did on the right? Or I want to try and get your, get your sense on that. Right, it's a very interesting uh, approach, uh, I should say, because um, as you correctly said, uh, I was playing uh, my whole life before Otter Hagel puts me on the left in that game in Saragossa against Spain. I was playing on the on the right, so I was not used playing on the left, uh, except some uh, small spells, any games that uh, the game itself led me on the left-hand side, but uh, that's only for one or two or three minutes in a, in a game. You know, it's um, one of the one of the things that uh, make the coach that you are working with uh, very very special, especially with Otto Rehagel. Uh, I should say that uh, I should uh, put my hat off for him as a manager because uh, he could see the game before it started uh, against Spain in Saragossa and um, trying to convince me play on the left. Believe me, it was not very easy for him. <laughs> um, the whole week in the training sessions, uh, you know, he was uh, talking to me. He was uh, asking me that uh, the best idea for uh, the game against Spain away from home is to play me on the left because uh, I could cut inside against uh, Michel Salgado, who was uh, right-footed. Whoever has played football, he can understand that uh, right-footed cannot mark with his left foot. So the initial plan was to cut inside and try to shoot and hit the target. Uh, that was the plan, the plan for my position. And uh, this is the moment that uh, you need uh, a big special mention to Otore Hagel that uh, he saw the picture before everybody else uh, putting me on the left. And uh, with this particular move, we managed to steal the, the game and the three points that uh, obviously led us to the, to the big tournament in Portugal in 2004. And after we know all the rest, what happened there? So the rest is history. Yep. The rest is history. So who knows if he didn't put me on the left uh, that day, maybe, maybe, I don't know, we wouldn't uh, take the whole three point. No, absolutely. Um, and I wanted to talk about also another one of your managers. We had a question from Bob Beans, who runs the Olympiakos Understore English account. And he had a question about uh, Sam Allardyce. Um, he knows that Sam Allardyce has a reputation of being an old school manager, but there's also an understanding that he was actually quite ahead of his time and a little bit more progressive. And Bob wanted to know how you felt playing for Sam Allardyce and what your most memorable moment was for him. You know, uh, I think it speaks up from, uh, from itself that uh, Sam Allardyce was not a not old-fashioned manager because uh, he was very ahead of his time. <laughs> I got the impression from uh, Big Sam uh, immediately from the first week that I joined uh, Bolton Wanderers back in 2003. Mm -hmm. I got amazed from the 
quality of the backroom staff that he had uh, recruited. We had a special uh, nutritionist, we had a special uh, physiotherapist. You know, the science behind the game was, uh, was massive. And even I should mention an example of uh, Quinton Fortune, left back of uh, Man United. He has joined us, I think, not my first, my second season. And uh, he got impressed from the backroom staff and the organization that we had in, uh, in Bolton Wanderers them days. So he told us one day that, uh, guys, these things that I'm seeing here, I haven't seen in my, even in Man United. So you can imagine how much uh, the progress uh, was in the highest level. Everything was working uh, to 100% in order to take the 100% and the maximum of our abilities and our, our talents as a players and as individuals collectively. Oh, that's incredible. I had no idea about that. I'm sure the, the only dietitian yeah. at Olympiakos was the Suvlaki or maybe the Euro you were getting uh, in Athens at the no, time. No, no, no. No, no. In Olympiakos, we had uh, Maria Likomitru. You Maria did? Likomitru, oh, okay. who, who was uh, looking after us uh, diet-wise, you know, with uh, all our personal diets, all the players, every individual uh, player, you know, has uh, his own diet. Of course, Olympiacos was very organized uh, mm -hmm. for them days. But uh, when I came to Bolton, it was uh, it was different class uh, in this department. You know, the science behind the game, the cryotherapy, you know, the ice baths, oh, wow. uh, the yogas. Uh, you know, it was uh, a little bit uh, ahead of the time because no other club was doing it. I want to piggyback off that question and ask you, how much of a culture shock was it for you when you when you left Greece and you decided to to go and play for Bolton? Not not just I mean culture shock in terms of moving from Greece to the UK, but football wise, really, what were the things that that stuck out for you when you when you got to the training ground the first day? <laughs> what were the differences? And the the second question is completely unrelated, but it's about footballer superstitions. And I really wanted to ask you this question: Is it true? Is it true that before big games, you would shave, clean shave your head? Was that one of your superstitions or is that crap? No, I was uh, shaving in my head uh, the day before a game. Uh, that was not a superstition. That was uh, because I wanted to look nice, you know. <laughs> <laughs> nothing, uh, nothing wrong with that. So just, just actually, it's funny when we were when we were um, letting people know you were coming on. We made a, I made a bad joke. You know, we were try we were teasing people about who the mystery guest was, and the last yeah. one was that you know he was bold, and I said you know I'm not sure if he was always bold, and we found a picture of you where you you do have hair. So uh, we we were just teasing about that. Before. <laughs> not a problem. That's that's a nice tease, guys. Thank you very much. <laughs> So, you know, when you, you mentioned in the first question about the English football in England in general, I was uh, very well uh, informed by my ex-teammate, Nikos Dabizas, that he was playing for Newcastle after he, jo uh, he joined them from uh, Olympiacos, that we were playing together. I was already informed uh, by Nikos that, uh, you know, in England it's a different uh, type of game. The physicality of the game is uh, much bigger and much stronger comparing with uh, other leagues, not only Greek leagues, other leagues as well. From day one, you need to, to cope with this uh, pace, with this uh, physicality in the game. 
and uh, try to to adapt as soon as possible in order to achieve uh, success. So this is exactly what I try to do from day one. Uh, I stepped my foot in the training ground until the, the day I left the club uh, five years later. So, of course, it was hard in the beginning to, to adapt to a strong uh, and physical game like the, the, the Premier League. But uh, week uh, after week, I was uh, getting stronger. I was getting even fitter in order to go in the combat and uh, give my everything and uh, try and win as many football games as I can. And uh, at the same time, to, to perform uh, at the highest level. So, believe me, it's not very, very easy. It's very hard. But uh, as I said before, when we started the conversation, I sacrificed and uh, I have dreamt of these times for so many years when I was young. And uh, I was not willing to miss the opportunity to play in the, in the best league in the world. So I was so committed. I was so sure about myself. Uh, I was so, you know, determined to achieve a success that uh, nobody could uh, take this away from me. Well, you made it look easy to all of us that watched you play. You really did. Um, you were a fantastic player uh, for every team you played for. Now, we wanted to kind of pivot the discussion towards Greek soccer in general, the Greek Super League. Do you believe that Greek that Greek teams have too little faith in their managers. Greece is becoming famous uh, in Europe, uh, even in the United States, for what we call the coaching carousel, because so many coaches get fired. At one point last season, almost every club fired their coach that they started the season with. Uh, even yeah. at Olympiacos, when Pedro Martins first came to the club two years ago, the beginning was a bit of a struggle and some people wanted him fired two months in. Um, obviously we stuck with him and now you could argue he's one of the best coaches we've ever had. But do you believe that Greek teams have too little faith in coaches? Uh, I think it's a, a worldwide uh, phenomenon, this, uh, this one with the, with the managers. I think this, this is one of the uh, fates of the managers. You know, when the team uh, doesn't perform, when the team uh, doesn't go well, when the team uh, loses, something has to change. The first thing that the board uh, is uh, going uh, in their minds is that they need to get rid of the manager. Because you cannot uh, get rid of uh, 23, 24 players. Uh, that's impossible. Uh, so the first uh, guy that uh, pays the price and gets the sack, it has to be the manager and his team. In, in general. So in some countries, they have a little bit more patient, patience. Uh, some other countries uh, just uh, doesn't happen. So they get under pressure, uh, the managers, uh, they get fired. Another manager comes in and uh, tries to rebuild the club uh, within days and or many, sometimes many uh, hours before a game. So that's, uh, that's not easy. But uh, this is the fate of the managers, uh, not only in Greece, but uh, worldwide. I think uh, we should give uh, not only the managers, especially in Greece, we should give, especially in the Greek managers, a little bit more chances in order to establish themselves uh, in the clubs, even the big clubs. I think they need to have faith in Greek managers because uh, I think we have uh, quite a lot quality Greek managers out there. Just on, on this question, I remember 
I remember a couple of seasons ago when it was rumoured that Mario Suzunidis was going to take over Olympiacos and um, I, I just I remember the, the, the Olympiacos press the next day and speaking to some fans and the reactions were were shocking, you know, it was, uh, like, this was playing good, good football in his, I think it was at Banyonios at the time, and Banyonios were in top six, or, you know, playing good football, bringing youngsters through, and it, it was the season, I think, after Paolo Bento left, and we had a really bad year, and yeah, it, I was really shocked by the mindset that, no, Mario Sosunides, you know, we shouldn't take him because he's a Panathinaikos guy, and it was just like, that mentality, which I cannot understand now I, I don't know where it was on me this is now but he was I... in Apoel and uh, he, he got the sack from Apoel in Cyprus uh, last week yeah okay uh, other Greek coach that I think about is is Donis and I I'm shocked that Panathinaikos sacked him I think that was the worst possible possible decision that they could have made and now he's at uh, he's at Maccabi and they've won two out of two games in their group he looks a good coach as well. You know, he's played football abroad. He has, I mean, I, I really yeah. don't understand that mentality that we have. I need, I, I think that uh, we need to have, uh, as I said before, we need to have faith in the Greek, uh, the Greek managers. There are some uh, other guys as well from my generation, like uh, Trajanos Delas, like uh, Dimitris Eleftheropoulos, like uh, Stelios Venetidis, uh, that uh, they can make it to the top. And I think they deserve a chance. I definitely agree with you there. We just saw there were, I think, three other players that just got their UEFA coaching licenses as well. Katsuranis, uh, Moras, I think, is what I'm forgetting who the third one was. Uh, yeah, yeah, they're, they're going to, the, to take their badges. And uh, mm -hmm. I think that uh, sooner or later, football, and especially Greek football, needs these type of, uh, of characters in the dressing room, as, either as the coaches or sporting directors like uh, Nikos Dabizas, for example, as a sporting director, had done a great job for Panathinaikos. And, uh, you know, you need uh, to trust this type of guys because uh, putting myself in, we have seen football in the, in the highest level, we have played it, we have, we have been there, done that, as you say. So, yes. why not? Absolutely. Now, going to the players, Greek players specifically, uh, we've talked on our podcast, it's also been talked about in Greece, how clubs tend to put a lot, especially the big clubs, Panathinaikos, Aik, Pauk, Olympiakos, we put a lot of pressure on Greek players. And in many cases, we expect more out of our Greek players than our foreign players. Do you believe, well, I should say, what, do you, what is it like first being a Greek? playing for Libyakos. Did you feel like more was expected out of you when you were playing for Libyakos than your peers that maybe weren't Greek? And how do you feel about Greek fans putting a lot of pressure, so much pressure on Greek players? And in some cases, you know, ruining some careers. A lot of people talk about Fetfatsidis, uh, Ninis, putting so much pressure on those players early before they had really done anything. And we wanted your opinion on that. Yeah, you know, uh, especially if you if you wear the if you wear the the shirt that you're wearing now, and you're Greek, I should say about myself, you immediately understand and realize which uh, which club you are playing from from day one. You go to the training ground, you go to to the game, 
you know, all the pressure is on you, all the eyes is on you, the press, the media, the fans, the board, even your teammates, they are expecting the best out of you. So the pressure is on from uh, day one. And uh, if you don't have a strong character, either you are Greek or you are English or you are German, Spanish, Italian, whatever you are, if you don't have a strong character in order to, to get all of them under your belt and uh, build a strong personality both on and off the pitch, uh, I don't think you have a chance of uh, making it in the top level. And uh, that's why it's very, very hard and uh, not everybody can make it, as we said before in the beginning. Uh, I think without generation, uh, back in our days, we had very, very, very good and strong characters and very, very good talented footballers, uh, Greek footballers uh, in the dressing room. Uh, every single one of them was, uh, was a character. He would carry, even in the bad day, in the bad criticism, he would carry on uh, playing and giving 100% uh, in training sessions and the games in order to improve and uh, get better and better for the next games that uh, they were going to come. Either it was a Greek league, Greek cup, uh, or a European game. And I think if you can copy, uh, can handle this kind of pressure, you can even use this kind of pressure uh, in your favor. Because uh, this is one of the things that I was doing as a player. I couldn't live at one point and beyond. I couldn't live without the pressure. I wanted the pressure because the pressure made me a better player. The, the competition with uh, my teammate in the training session for who is going to play, who is going to start. This kind of pressure can make you even better player and explore football levels that uh, you haven't even dreamt before you, <laughs> you joined the club. So this is exactly what happened, not only with myself, but with all the Greek players that uh, were playing in Olympiakos uh, in that period. So I think that uh, every single one of us, uh, we loved playing for Olympiakos uh, so much that uh, we couldn't stand losing a game uh, of football. Either we were playing uh, home, our way, uh, or whatever it was. We were the first to, to go out for warm-up. We were the first to, to go and uh, give a hand to a teammate of ours. And uh, we were the first to, to be unhappy if we didn't make it. So if you haven't worn uh, a shirt like uh, this one or uh, another big club, you cannot understand exactly what I'm trying to say and transfer to you right now. Um, it's a very, very special feeling. And uh, you need to take uh, advantage of every moment, every second uh, that you, you are wearing this type of shirt and not let the fans down with a bad performance or with um, a performance that uh, you don't give 100% uh, at all times. You're basically answering my next question, which was, if you've played for a club like Olympiacos with that kind of pressure where you have to win every game and you know a loss or a draw is disaster and the next day they're calling for the manager's head, it really kind of trains you and makes you want the pressure so that makes you ready to go and play at the next club but exactly I, I, exactly I, I remember before Marco Silva became manager of Everton Paul Merson was on Sky and he was saying 
who the hell is Marco Silva? I have White? seen. I have seen the the comments. I've seen. Them. He, he, you know, he says, uh, "Oh, he was an Olymp he was Olympiakos, their farmers' league, or whatever." But, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, okay, it's the Greek league, but nobody. I don't think people appreciate that the pressure at the club and how much it it trains you and prepares you to have that mentality that if I'm playing anywhere, I go out to win. And and you said that in your in your previous statement. Now. The, the, the question coming from that and what you said is what happened when you guys went to play away from home in the Champions League or in Europe? Because we all know that before we beat Werder Bremen, we'd never yeah. won away from home and we'd play at home and we'd beat anybody. Real Madrid would come and they couldn't win. And yeah. we'd go away and play Molde or Heronvane and... And we don't know what happens. Um, how do you, you know, explain? You know, sometimes in football you cannot explain everything. You know, even uh, top managers, if you go out and ask them, Mourinho, Guardiola, Jurgen Klopp, uh, Carlo Ancelotti, uh, you know, uh, sometimes they say this is football. You know, uh, it's uh, something that you cannot explain. Uh, for example, if you go your mind back and uh, you remember the La Coruña away game, the 2-2, the draw, you know, it was one of the, them games that uh, before the game, we were going for a slaughter. You know, we we're going to concede, uh, they should say, all the experts, three, four, five, uh, against us. And uh, just moments before the final whistle, we were 2-1 uh, up and uh, not comfortably, but we were very well deserved 2-1 uh, up and uh, one final moment uh, of the game cost us the equalizer uh, from uh, La Coruña. If you saw in the dressing room uh, the faces of uh, everybody of us, uh, you could tell that we lost 6-0 uh, and uh, we have uh, took away a draw 2-2 against uh, maybe the best uh, team in Europe in that, uh, in that period. So. It's one of them things that you cannot explain. And I think it was a matter of time when uh, the team was going to take the, the, to the whole three points away, away from home in a Champions League game. And uh, as you said, it came with uh, Berder Bremen. I think that uh, you could tell that uh, the size of Olympiakos shirt was uh, getting bigger and bigger year in, year out in the Champions League because it was uh, dominating the, the Greek league all these years with the investment that all the owners uh, from uh, Mr. Kokalis until now, Mr. Marinakis, they are uh, putting in. Many, many millions of euros uh, to improve the facilities, to get uh, big names in order to make the difference in the uh, Greek League and the Champions League. You know, uh, sooner or later, uh, that win uh, would come. And it came with Werther uh, Bremen. Now, you've already kind of given us uh, an idea of what it was like to play in, in those big games. You brought up the pressure earlier and how you thrived on it. Now, was the pressure, or should I say the atmosphere, different for those Champions League games or those European games compared to the big games against Aik or Panathinaikos? Was there a, a difference in the type of atmosphere and the pressure you felt in those games? Or were they both big games and the pressure was similar? You know, they were different games. But uh, in the end of the day, uh, the pressure is, no, is on uh, either way. 
either you play the Champions League or a big game in Greece, the pressure is on. All the eyes is on you, as we said before, and uh, you need to perform uh, at your maximum. You're not allowed uh, to make an error. <laughs> You're not allowed to make any mistakes. In these games, you need to keep the momentum uh, from the previous game, especially if you, are, you have won a game. You need to maintain and keep the momentum, keep it going, and uh, especially in the Champions League games, try to enjoy as well. It's a big festival for all footballers around the world. All the footballers on the planet, uh, they wish and they have a dream one day to play in the Champions League. So um, you need to enjoy as well. And if you can be combined with a, with a victory, you take it with uh, much pleasure. Of course. As a quick follow-up to that, uh, you know, we know in Greece, the derby games especially, when you're, play yeah. when you're playing in them, they're, you know, they can be scary. They're always, well, not anymore, but there's flares that usually used to go off, fans throwing things. It's crazy atmosphere. I guess as a, as a Greek playing in Greece, this might have been something you could have been accustomed to. But did you ever have to maybe console or comfort some of your foreign teammates that maybe weren't used to this? Uh, we've heard, you know, teams that have come to visit Greece or Olympiakos, they come in the stadium and they're scared. The, the atmosphere yeah. is, is very... Um, I don't aggressive. not aggressive, aggressive. exactly. Yes. Yeah. So, you know, like Bayern Munich. It's very lively. It's very lively. <laughs> <laughs> so did uh did you ever have to talk to any of your players like, oh no, this it's it's Greece, this is how it is? Did you have to console them? Were they scared to get on the field sometimes when they just came to Greece? You know, because uh, of uh quite a few foreigners uh, came to the club, uh, especially from uh northern Europe, like uh Parz Edeberg, for example. You know, these type of characters and players, especially from uh, Northern Europe, they are not used to this type of uh, cultures and uh, this type of approaches from the fans of the home team. And, uh, you know, you need to consult them. You need to, to tell them uh, exactly what uh, they're going to face, especially away from home. You know, uh, some objects uh, coming uh, <laughs> towards you, especially if you're going to... Oh. To have a corner kick or a throw-in, uh, some spitting as well. But, uh, you know, that's part of the game. That's part of building a strong character as well. You need to accept and adapt to the culture of the league that you are playing to. And uh, if you can uh, manage to play in this type of leagues, uh, playing after in England, it uh, seems like a church, you know. <laughs> Absolutely. I um, I mean, the first football game I ever went to was an Arsenal-Everton game at the old Highbury Stadium when I was very young. Um, but I remember, you know, afterwards, my dad obviously took me to a Tolibiakos game, a friendly in the summer when we were out in Greece. And, you know, even in a friendly in the old Karaiskagi or in the Oaka with 10,000 people, it was just like, comparing to an English stadium, it was like, wow, what yeah. on earth is this? It's like completely yeah. different. And the 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 um the pinnacle for me was Olympiacos Real Madrid uh, 99 the season we bought Giovanni and Zakovic and my dad took me to the game 3-3 yeah and really i mean we scored the first goal and there's 85,000 crazy greeks with high blood pressure <laughs> in the stadium yeah. and you think yeah. it was like an earthquake let alone the yeah. third goal I, I thought the stadium was coming down. What, I mean, what's that, what's that like for you as a player when you have 
that atmosphere are your legs not shaking when you enter the stadium like how do you how do you get through the adrenaline and really how does that feel to play to a crowd like that yeah that's that's unbelievable this uh, kind of atmospheres and games it's one of the moments that uh, you go back you, you close your eyes and uh, you go back when you were a child and uh, you have dreams and you have uh, ambition and this is the moment that uh, you were dreaming of you know, these are the moments that uh, a small kid dreams of uh, when he becomes a professional footballer. Footballer. These are these are the moments that you want to live. These are the moments that you want to go and play. These are the teams that uh, you go, you want to go and play against. The players, big stars, you know, world stars, world, uh, top class players, and uh, wearing this uh, this shirt the olympiaco shirt uh, in the champions league and going going out and playing with teams and players like that and have uh, almost 90,000 cheering you cheering you to win the game for them uh, and not only for them for millions others that uh, they are watching they are watching either from greece or abroad you know you cannot imagine from a, a bigger motivation for a player to to go out and perform you know, some players can uh, can handle the pressure, this type of pressure. Some other players cannot. And this is the magic of the game. This is the, the moments that uh, the game gives you and uh, they stay in your heart forever. And I wanted to take a moment to thank Adoni, our previous guest who writes for Elas Football. Uh, he writes uh, on Banathinaikos matters. Uh, he asked the initial question about the difference of playing in Europe versus a derby game. So thank you, Adoni, for that question. I, I want to follow up on the um, on on some Champions League nights and ask you about the ninety eight ninety nine team. So that's the the team that got to the quarterfinal against uh, against Juventus. If the wind wasn't so bad that night in Athens, do you think that team could have gone all the way? I'm talking about Conti's goal, of course, because if the wind wasn't blowing as hard as it would, maybe. Eleftheropoulos would have grabbed the ball. But do you think that team could have gone all the way? And it was based largely on Greek players. I don't think we, we had Gogic up front, who okay, we almost consider Greek. But, uh, I, you know, it's one of those teams that you think what could have been. You know, it was one of the things that, uh, as we said before, about uh, the away victory. It was going to happen uh, in different ways with uh, our national team in 2004. So I think it could be the same scenario with uh, Olympiacos. That was that team of Olympiacos, uh, 1998-99, with uh, full of Greeks, quality Greeks, and uh, only a couple of uh, foreign players. With, amongst them was half foreigners, half Greeks, with uh, Ivic and Georgievic and uh, Gogic. So there were only and peter of only peter of Oriku, i think uh, was the the foreigner we were very very close i still remember the game i still remember the goal uh, from conte we conceded in the last moments of the game and uh, i think that uh, we deserve to go all the way and uh, god knows if we went all the way that team that uh, crazy fans be on, on our back uh, cheering for us uh, Nobody knows uh, what uh, would have happened. Do you think uh, that the current Olympiacos team in terms of caliber is anywhere near or close to the, that team, the 1998-1999 team? You know, it's, it's hard to say. It's hard to say because uh, we cannot compare different uh, periods 
different type uh, of football uh, that days, different type of football uh, these days. The only thing that uh, remains the same is the is the shirt uh, that uh, the players are wearing. Uh, footballers and managers we come and go, uh, but uh, the shirt and the fans uh, will always be there. I think that uh, we had in my period that we had a very very good team, very very strong team. We could give a very very good game to the to the opposition, entertain our supporters as well as long as we we won the games at the same time. We could give them a, a good show so they could go home uh, happy and full of uh, quality football. And uh, I think that uh, the same happens now with uh, this team. The people can enjoy some quality football games home and away. Unfortunately, with this period, uh, you cannot go and watch uh, the team from the stands. That's a pity to all uh, the football clubs all over the planet. But uh, I think that uh, the current team as well is a very, very talented and uh, quality team and deserves to, to have a good run both uh, in Greece uh, and in the Champions League. Yeah, we'll see, we'll see how, how we manage this season. I think um, losing our wing-backs from last year is going to have a big impact until players like Vinagre start to gel with the team. But I think last year's team, the way we played... I wasn't scared. Any game that we were going into in Europe, I was never scared uh, with that team. Yeah. And I, I mean, I, I wanted to ask you a question um, moving away from the 98-99 team. It was the first time I think Kokalis bought in big foreign players. So he bought Giovanni, he bought in Zahovic. I think even now the Zahovic transfer is the, the highest amount we've paid for a foreign player, if I'm not mistaken. Um, yeah. What was that like for you guys when when those two players came in? I mean, Giovanni for me is, you know, up there with some of my favourite players that I've ever watched. Like Cantona was the first player I idolised and one, one of the reasons that I started watching and loving football. Uh, Beckham was another one for me. And then really, like, it's Giovanni. Like, he did things with the football that... Yeah. You just love to watch him play. What was it like? Not just like, you know, playing with him, training with him, but what impact did those players have coming into the team on the dressing room? And I mean, that was a change for you guys. You you were, like you said, a homogenous Greek team. And then all of a sudden you've got these guys coming in. What was what was that like? You know, in order for them to come uh, to play for Olympiakos, uh... Big things uh, should have happened in the previous period and previous uh, championships. And uh, winning the Greek League and uh, producing uh, performances, uh, good performances in the Champions League, uh, these are the elements that uh, attract players like that. When the investment uh, from, the, from the president is there, uh, you know, you can uh, have the opportunity and uh, the privilege playing alongside uh, big names like uh, Giovanni, like Zakovic, like uh, Karembe, like uh, Zé Elias, etc., uh, etc. Et so um, that uh, showed, uh, showed that uh, we did well. <laughs> we were good and uh, we deserved to play alongside uh, this type of players. Now, speaking of attractive elements that bring footballers uh, to the club and making them want to play for Libyakos, Obviously, European competition is something that attracts foreign footballers to come and play in Greece. The idea that they can play on the big stage. Yeah. 
besides Olympiacos, how do you think the, you know, Ike, Bauk, Olympiacos, how do you think that they're going to do for this, this European campaign? As you know, unfortunately, Greece has fallen in terms of the UEFA coefficient rankings for the, for the league credit ratings. Greece used to be sixth up near with England, Germany, uh, those leagues, and now we're down to 17th behind Cyprus, yeah. behind Serbia. Uh, do, you, do you think that the three Greek clubs, including Olympiakos, that are playing in Europe now, that they can push the coefficient forward in this competition this year? You know, it's very, very difficult, especially not, on, not for Olympiakos, for, for everybody. Because um, in order to get uh, success, uh, you need to invest. If you don't have the income or the capacity to invest, especially if you are a Greek uh, club, uh, no matter uh, the shirt that you're wearing, uh, you know, the income of Greek clubs comparing with uh, other leagues, if you compare it, uh, the, the, the difference is huge. So you cannot attract uh, the likes uh, of uh, Van Dijk or you name it, you, know, you name the player. Uh, you can only attract uh, young, talented footballers uh, that uh, you need to have a very, very good uh, scouting team in order to attract uh, very young uh, and very, very promising, talented footballers and uh, transforming them to, to big names. And uh, this is what uh, especially Olympiakos has done in the, in the recent years, the recent 10 years. That has to, to go credit to the, to the scouting department that uh, they managed to attract and uh, see the future in this type of uh, players and they try to attract them, play for Olympiacos and uh, getting them to, to bigger clubs. Uh, this is the, the thing that uh, other teams uh, should uh, invest more because there is no money for a big investment for bringing in uh, big names. And uh, if you have the, the quality in this uh, type of uh, departments, I think uh, sooner or later, the success uh, will come. Do you think that perhaps we might be spending too much time trying to find the Madi Camera type of players in League Two and we're perhaps not giving enough focus on domestic Greek players uh, coming through the youth teams? I think we should do more or less the both, both of them. A quality combination of uh, using the academy players that coming through the academy uh, through the first team. It's, uh, it should be priority number one for, uh, for clubs, produce uh, their own players. And uh, at the same time, with the uh, quality scouts that can uh, go and watch uh, quality footballers, young footballers abroad, can attract uh, the attention of, uh, of them too in order to have a, a very, very good combination. But I think, first and foremost, we, we should focus on our grassroots, our academy footballers, invest in the, our own academy. And I think, uh, especially now, Olympiacos has invested many, many, many millions of euros in, uh, in the academy. They are doing a fantastic job. They are recruiting kids all over Greece, all quality football players, uh, that can make difference in Greece. Whole Greece are uh, monitored, uh, watched from the from the scouts, and uh, any quality player that uh, stands out, I think uh, it's already has already passed uh, the gates of uh, of ready sporting center. So I think um, Olympiakos is doing a great job 
uh, academy wise and uh, that uh, gets uh, until the first team i think there's a question of you know do do we have that same kind of quality being nurtured in greek football and in our youth academies but that might take us on to the questions we have about the national team uh, a little a little later on um there was a question that came in from from Themis Gesaris. Uh, Ari, I think you wanted to, to, to pop that one. Uh, yeah, so this is about a specific player, Yorgos Masuras, who currently plays on the left wing for Lubiakos. And Themis Gesaris discussed in one of his radio segments that with your skill set and your eye for goal, he kind of viewed you as a second striker that played wide. Now, he made the argument in that radio segment that Masuras is a similar player in that respect. He doesn't think he's a real winger, more like a second striker that can play wide. But he believes that you were more technically, uh, more technically gifted than Masuras is. So should Masuras learn from your performances in the past in order to make more strides into becoming a, a more positive offensive figure? One of the main concerns for him has been his offensive, his more inconsistent offensive performances. And guess that he's made the argument that he should look to you as a model in order to be more positive in the offensive third. Uh, this is one uh, subject that uh, at my period in the national team, uh, I have already discussed uh, with Masuras in private. So he had uh, revealed to myself that uh, he was watching uh, my videos my my clips in order to to improve his game especially in the final third and uh, scoring some goals this is one of the things that i was doing as we said the early stages that uh, i was doing and try to copy and paste uh, from footballers that i admired both uh, domestically and uh, internationally i think that uh, masuras is uh, trying his best he has improved in uh, the offensive third in the final third he has improved a lot. He has uh, scored uh, very, very important goals. And uh, he is willing to learn. This is the element that I, I love about Masuras, is that uh, he is willing to, to improve. He listens. He tries his best. He, he will put it in the training day in, day out. And uh, eventually, he will enjoy the success of the games. Uh, but I think that uh, you cannot have it from uh, one day to another. You know, you need to be there, you need to, to train it, you need to train it every day, you need to, to focus, you need to give it a bit uh, 10, 15, 20, maybe half an hour extra in the, in the finishing or whatever you can, you can improve in every department of the game. And especially the offensive game, I think he, he gets uh, the improvement that uh, he wants and uh, of course all the funds wants from him. And uh, I think that uh, he has the character, he has the, he's the, this type of person that uh, he would want to, to improve uh, every day, every month, every year. And this is what he's doing. And I think he deserves uh, the credit for this uh, effort. That's definitely good to hear. We, you can see on the field, his work rate is incredible. I mean, that's one thing I've never heard a complaint about is his, is his endurance. No, he's... Base he covers. He's, he's sacrificing uh, in every single game himself. Mm -hmm. You know, he, you can tell that he gives whatever he wants and even more. He gives everything. And uh, the people love that. Yep. The people, the fans, 
love this type of players that give everything for the for the team. And he is this type of player. Absolutely. Uh, now we wanted to pivot the discussion more towards the national team. We get a lot of questions about the national team, and especially in the last couple months, it has been a very hot topic among Greek soccer fans, especially in the diaspora. Now, one of the biggest things and something that's talked about constantly and asked constantly to us, to, to other Greek diaspora papers, club politics for the national team. We've kind of seen some, you know, in press conferences with Van Ship, those club politics start to come out a little bit. Uh, when you were on the national team, uh, not just in the Euro 2004 campaign, but before, did club politics play a role in the locker room when you were with the guys and when you were on the field? Um, or was it more strong personalities, strong Greek personalities first, and then club politics kind of second, or even the reverse? You know, I, see, I think that you almost uh, gave the answer yourself because um, club politics uh, were always there and maybe they will always be there. Uh, but uh, I don't think the club politics uh, should uh, interfere and uh, interrupt the national team uh, manager and the players that are in that particular team. And I think uh, all these politics should stay away from the dressing room of the national team because uh, they produce uh, no good. Uh, the opposite, they can harm the, the team, they can poison the team, they can poison the fans. As a consequence, uh, they can uh, poison the, the players and the manager as well. So the less we hear, the less we consider that uh, there are this type of politics, the better it is for the team. Did you experience this yourself in the locker room or was it more for you, the national I was team lucky, first? I was lucky enough, uh, as you said, that's why I said uh, you almost answered the question that uh, mm -hmm. the characters uh, in the dressing room uh, in that period that I was there, we wouldn't allow this to touch the dressing room. And uh, as an extension, uh, Otto Rehagel didn't allow uh, this type of uh, pressure touch the, the dressing room. And um, that was a big issue for the club, for the, for the team, sorry, to, to focus in the, in the job and uh, in the tournament, especially back in 2004 and before that, in order to achieve what we, we have achieved. Because if we had stayed in the domestic uh, rivals, rivalry, you know, Olympiakos, Panathinaikos, Aik, Pauk, who is playing, how many minutes he played and uh, he got injured and this and that, you know, you get, uh, you get the level of the conversation very, very low and uh, you don't win anything in the end of the day. There was a really interesting interview that um, Adonis Nikopolidis gave to Padelis Diamadopoulos, I think, a week or two ago. And he was saying that what we also take for granted about that 2014 is the fact that all those players, pretty much, if you look at the, the starting 11, the squad, they were all players that were playing at really high level, playing in the Champions League. Banthanaikos at the time was doing very well in, in Europe and, and Ajax even. I think they had a, a season in, in the Champions League where they didn't lose any home games. And I mean, yeah, besides, besides names like Vasilis Tsartas, Demis Nikolaidis, yourself, uh, Haristeas, Basinas, all of those guys that were playing at a really high level week in, week out, and now, I guess, would you agree one of the reasons we're not doing so well is because just pure and simple, we don't have 
our Greek clubs playing at high level in European competition anymore. So the level has dropped because we're not competing at that level, as players at least. I think it's a combination. I think that um, we're not producing uh, so many Greek players uh, like we used to produce in the past. Uh, and I think that uh, we should take advantage of this uh, period of the financial crisis and uh, try to focus on uh, uh, the Greek players and how to develop them uh, and uh, make them uh, perform in the highest level, like other uh, countries do with uh, their uh, domestic players. Uh, you know, we need to invest, uh, as I said before, in the, in the grassroots, all the clubs, and uh, we should stay in uh, one uh, same route, uh, all clubs in Greece, not only the big clubs. All, club in, all clubs in Greece, they should focus on the grassroots, invest a little bit more, uh, focus more on producing players, quality players and quality characters as well, uh, both on and off the pitch. Uh, you're leading me on to my next question perfectly and it's about something that's quite topical in the media uh, at the moment and it's about Costas Fortunis. So for I think well for me and for most Greek or Olympiacos football fans he's the best player of his generation. He's one of the finest attacking players we've we've produced in in the last years but yet now we've become accustomed every week to be having a conversation about Costas saying, oh, he didn't start this game. He got taken off at half time. Um, his relationship with the manager has been coming into question a lot, most recently after the last game where he got subbed off at half time. Um, now, he's, I think he's 28 years old now and he's made it quite clear in some interviews that if he were to leave he wouldn't you know he wouldn't like to go and play in Turkey he would only leave to go and play in a big league for a big club and have a starting position do you think that he needs to go abroad and play in in another league kind of have that pressure off him you know it, it just feels like I think he's been mismanaged at Olympiacos I think there's been too much pressure put on him I feel like giving him the captain's armband a couple of years ago, for me, was a mistake. Mm -hmm. He's not a captain. I think of captain, I think of Roy Keane. It's not his character. He's, he doesn't talk a lot on the field. He just wants to play football. It's like you were saying yeah. earlier, when you were a kid, you didn't have a position. You just wanted to be on the ball. That's like him. He wants to have the ball. He wants to play make. He wants to score. He wants to give assists. But, I mean, what do you, what do you make of this whole situation with with him and would you would you advise him to go and play abroad get away from the pressure in Greece and just focus on football like how do you view this whole situation with him listen in order to answer all these questions all this series of questions that uh, you, you are putting uh, on me uh, it's very very interesting uh, for Tunis case because uh, I agree with you he's uh, one of the best uh, footballers that I've seen uh, with the ball on his feet. Uh, I can compare him with uh, Vasilis Karapialis when I was playing for Olympiacos. He's this type of player, you know, his flair, his, uh, his touch. He's so sweet with the ball. He can, he can see the picture before anybody else. Uh, he can pass the ball through. He can uh, dribble. He can score. He can create. He can do so many things. But I think uh, the solution is uh, very, very deep in his head. 
because uh, you need to know a little bit more about his character. You need to know a little bit more about his uh, family because a footballer is not only the 90 minutes, it's a lot more. Uh, you need to know what uh, his passion is. You need to know what uh, his dream is. And uh, you need to know what uh, is the reason that he's not playing regularly in the last months. And this is a question that uh, only Costas should answer because he is the, the guy that, uh, you know, uh, as we say in Greece, he has the Maheri and the Carpuzzi. <laughs> so he is the, the most expert to answer the question. I think that uh, he deserves to play in, the, in, a, in, a big, uh, in a big league. He deserves and he has the quality and the capacity to play in a very, very good league, in a good club in, in, abroad as well. But I think the, the competition that uh, fits uh, best for him is uh, the Spanish league, which is uh, a little bit more soft, a little bit more uh, elegant, a little bit more uh, imagination and uh, a little bit, uh, you know, matching his, uh, his character and his uh, type of playing. But, uh, you know, uh, Martins, uh, who watches him uh, day in, day out in the training ground, he knows a little bit more than us. So we only have uh, questions and uh, we don't know what's happening in the, in the training ground. You know, uh, sometimes you need to get some time you, you, with yourself, like I was doing uh, when I was playing. And especially when you have some uh, bad periods, bad spells. You should uh, sit and speak and talk and have quality criticism, you with yourself, of uh, what's going on, if you know what I mean. You need to, to speak with yourself. You need to have, you need to see yourself in the mirror and ask the proper questions and get the proper answers because you cannot cheat your own self. You know the truth. You know why if you're not playing, you know the reason. And uh, you, need, uh, you need to answer uh, by yourself. And the answer is you need to train hard. You need to train harder in order to get yourself back in the team and uh, prove everybody wrong. Yeah. No, I think you, you said it perfectly. And I think all of us want to see him, how he was before his, his injury. And, you know, he's a player that Greeks and Greek fans identify with because he is Greek. I think, I think that he's the first that wants all these elements to happen. Mm -hmm. He's the first that uh, he, he's thirsty and hungry for success. He's the first to go out there and enjoy the game again. So I'm very, very sure. I'm very, very positive that uh, he will bounce back very, very soon. Yeah, uh, we, we hope so. You know, he's a, he's a player a lot of us really like to watch and he's one we have a lot of high hopes for. So we're, we definitely are going to hope for the best for that. And for our, our non-Greek listeners or those that don't understand Greek, uh, when Stelio brought up the Macheri and the Carpuzzi, he's talking about he has the knife and the watermelon with him. So it's, it's more or less in his hands to, to do. Yes, it's in a Greek um, expression. Sorry, guys, yes. about the Greek. No, 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 it's not a problem. Um, and, and more on Fortunis, you know, you hear, you know, as fans, it's, it's frustrating for us too, because again, to, to point to something else, writer Themis Gesadi said, you know, he wrote after, I believe it was after the Kosovo game, or maybe it was after the Moldova game, where, you know, he said, you know, John Van Schip, we don't have anybody better. 
you know, you play him. Uh, we don't have anybody better for the team. So for as fans, it gets frustrating for us because when we recognize that for the national team, we don't have a lot of uh, offensive masterminds or maestros, especially with some injuries to other players. You see one on the bench, and when he comes on, he does so much, it, it raises a lot of questions. Now, I wanted to kind of go back real quick to the Euro 2004 team to address, of course, some future questions as well. Uh, now, in George Tsitsonis's book, Achieving the Impossible, he brought up that Garagunis had mentioned to him in, when we interviewed him, um, you know, it wasn't just that we had a good coach. It wasn't just that we all had the right mentality. We were all great players. So I wanted to ask you, how much of Greece's success in Euro was it to what many considered to be the golden generation? Uh, many still believe, including myself, that that Euro 2014, you guys are some of the best players, if not the best players Greece has ever produced. Um, so how much of it was it that you were just that talented? And how much of it was the cohesion, Rahigal system uh, altogether? I agree. It's a combination of everything. You need to have a, a golden generation like uh, our generation was. But at the same time, we need to, to find the same team spirit that we, we showed them days. You need to find the right manager uh, that we had them days. And you need to have uh, the perfect timing of uh, form that everybody of us uh, was having them days. So if you combine all that, and uh, you put it uh, in a football game, uh, you get uh, this type of results. I think that uh, the answer has already been given from uh, top managers like uh, Arsene Wenger, like uh, Sir Alex Ferguson, like uh, Jose Mourinho and uh, so many others. They were saying that uh, if you're going to get successful, you should copy the, the style of play of Greece in the tournament of 2004. They have commented in uh, interviews, they have commented in uh, coaching seminars, in uh, UEFA uh, galas, you know. Uh, so that was the, the, the best answer for, uh, for that team. And I also believe that Greece has produced, uh, even in the past, uh, many, many great players. You know, Domazos, Papayoanu, Delicaris, Kudas that uh, they deserve to, to have uh, this type of, of uh, success as well. But unfortunately, football is a, is a team sport, is a team game. Uh, it's not an individual game. If it was an individual game, maybe before us, uh, other teams with uh, the Likarises and the Kudas and uh, Saravakos and uh, Papayoanu and all these type of players, they deserve to, to have a trophy as well. But collectively, they didn't have a good team. Uh, that is the reason that uh, we were not successful. Uh, and this is the reason that we were, until now, the golden generation. And I hope, I don't know, in, uh, in a few years' time, that uh, another golden generation take the role, take the, you know, take the next step. Who knows? So you have now led up to the next question perfectly. The next question we were going to ask you was, well, what are your thoughts then on the current ethniki as it stands from what you've seen so far with John Van Schip? Do you think we have the players to not win, forget winning the World Cup, but to qualify for the World Cup in 2022? And do you think that with those players in the system we've seen that we have what it takes to at least qualify? 
Yes, I'm positive. I'm positive and uh, I think that uh, we have the talent uh, in the dressing room. We have the, the players. They can play, they can produce, they can perform well and uh, go out there and uh, qualify for a big tournament and go back again in the big stages uh, like we used to do. Uh, I think it's a matter of time. I think uh, we should all uh, support the new manager. He has a good, uh, you know, approach about the game. I think the the future is going to be brighter. I think when we when we were watching this Greece team playing um, in Van Schip's first few games in charge, for me at least, it was like we were watching a totally different brand of football from from a Greece team. Like we were attacking, we were in possession. Uh, he, you know, he said that. I'm going to focus on on the young players, and you have players like Limnios, uh, who's very exciting on on the wing. He brought in some players from from Holland, players like yeah. Rusai and and Pavlidis up front. But yeah, more recently, again, I think this this topic of potentially club politics is creeping into the national team, and we haven't seen. Uh, we haven't seen what we what we saw before, but but certainly you look at some of the talents that we have um, that aren't in the national team at the moment, like uh, Panayotis Retsos, who's had some some injury problems. Um, he's a great talent. Uh, Timikas hasn't featured much, uh, but Yanulis is also a very good player. But but yeah, no, we we certainly hope that we can we can find our way and uh, yeah. and we can keep club politics aside. Yeah, I'm positive that we can get uh, back on track. And uh, that's a perfect opportunity to mention that uh, when we handed out uh, the composition, because uh, Jean Van Sip uh, took over after uh, Mr. Anastasiadis and uh, myself and Agelos Basinas uh, left uh, the national team, we have uh, given a composition for the, for the new manager in order to see about the uh, next potential uh, Greek players, and uh, we have given uh, him the names that you mentioned before about uh, playing-wise, uh, what he should focus on uh, this type of players that uh, we have already seen and identified. So we are very, very happy for that. Absolutely. Um, and I guess as we begin to close up, uh, again, thank you so much for your time. Uh, we have some mailbag questions. So other questions that uh, listeners have sent in to us that they wanted to ask you. Uh, so, uh, one of the first questions we had was, uh, from user go from Twitter. Is there a talent, not just at Olympiakos, but a young Greek talent that you've seen playing in the super league, uh, that you think is exciting or a talent in the making, uh, excluding Fortunis, of course, I think he's a little too old for us to consider him a talent. Now. He's not, he shouldn't be considered talent anymore. <laughs> no, talent, talent is always there. I think, uh, the word, the talent is misunderstood. Uh, if you speak about talent, you, you, you don't uh, mention a young player. Mm -hmm. Talent is, uh, is uh, the perfect word and fits uh, perfectly to, to any quality uh, player, uh, whatever uh, the age. You know, talent is a talent. It's not uh, only for the young player. <laughs> well, then I should specify then, is there a, a younger player that you see playing in the Super League for any one of the teams in Greece that is catching your eye that you think is interesting? Yeah, I think Jolis from uh, Pauk uh, has made a very, very good impression uh, in my eyes. Mm -hmm. He's definitely one we've been excited for as well. Yeah, he, I yeah, think he's, he's the a only, very quality player. 
He's the only winger I think gave Timikas a hard time last year. Yeah, he gave uh, Timikas and uh, some others as well. He gave mm -hmm. uh, he gave them hard times, and uh, I think he he deserves to play in a big club like Pauk. And uh, the future is all his. I think it's a matter of time if he continues like that. It's a matter of time uh, a big club from uh, Europe uh, comes and knocks the the door of Pauk. I wouldn't mind having him on our team, to be honest. If I could bring anybody, <laughs> if I could bring anybody from those rival clubs, he's definitely one that I'd like to have. But I don't think we're quite there yet in Greece. <laughs> I think I think for this type of players, uh, the sooner they they leave and uh, they go and play abroad in a in a big league, the sooner they leave, the better for them because they can explode uh, their careers. They can uh, they can touch the sky, and uh, they deserve it. Well said. Another question we've received from a number of users, DJ Elias7, Olifan1925, is the goal you scored against Porto your favourite goal? Um, I'm, I'm sure you must have been asked this a hundred times. <laughs> but I mean... No, what, I think it's... it's can you can you walk uh, us through? Can you walk us through like what happened? Because like I mean, I've watched it a hundred times. Likewise, <laughs> and every every time I watch it, it just like I can't get enough. But can you walk us? You 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 must remember the like the action and how it played out. Yeah, was... of course I remember. You how can how can you forget uh, <laughs> this type of moment? You know, it's uh, it's one of the moments that uh, have marked my my personality, not only my career. You know, it's. Uh, it's one of the moments that uh, you're dreaming where you're a small kid and uh, it happens to you, you know. It's crazy. It's um, the satisfaction that you get and uh, the pride that I have now. I'm 46 years old and the pride that I have now after so many years from that night, you know, it's unbelievable. The moments that football can, uh, can give you can uh, mark you for the, for the rest of your life. So this is moment is one of them. You said in the beginning you didn't know if that was your favorite. Is there a different goal that was your favorite? No, no, I didn't say. I said, uh, of course, it's my favorite. But, oh, of course, uh, it's your favorite. I cannot, I cannot, I cannot take out, uh, you know, the goal against Spain uh, 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 with national team uh, because it was, it's a special goal. It's a goal that uh, almost gave us the ticket for the for the Euro in Portugal. Of course, uh, the qualification to qualify for uh, the Euros. I cannot forget the goal against Croatia Zagreb in Zagreb with, with uh, minus, uh, minus 17 degrees. We were playing on the ice. Like, uh, it was like an uh, ice skating. Oh my God. You know, crazy, unbelievable moments wearing the, the Olympiaco shirt. And of course, I have uh, nice memories as well from uh, the Premier League with Bolton, which I have uh, enjoyed very, very much. I have scored some, uh, some very, very beautiful goals as well in, in England, which I'm very, very proud of. I, I have to tell you that as a Tottenham fan in the UK, Tottenham's my team. Um, I have to thank you for all the wonderful goals that you scored against Arsenal. Every time you played against Arsenal, it was, yeah. uh, it was like, you know, Stelius is going to score. Whenever Arsene Wenger saw your name on the, on the team sheet, he must have thought, yeah. oh God, this guy again. Yeah, yeah. Not a goal against Arsenal. yeah. I need to. I need just to to make it like a like a joke, but it was a reality during uh, the warm up in Highbury. Says Fabregas uh, loses his ball. You know the ball. You know when you pass to your your teammate during the warm up, 
mm-hmm. you know, some balls uh, going to the to the opposition uh, field when uh, we are warming up. <laughs> and uh, Cesc Fabregas' uh, ball uh, came to my feet and he came to, to pick it up. And he told me, Stelios, please, don't score again today. <laughs> <laughs> you know, but, uh, you know, you could tell that he was uh, immature. You know, he was very, very young. He was only 18 years old. And uh, it was very, very <laughs> nice moment. Nice, you know, yeah. full of uh, innocence, you know, yeah. from, uh, from the young of the age. He, <laughs> just, he just said that, you know. It was one of the moments that I, I remember. That's brilliant. Yeah. It really is. I, I'm an Arsenal fan as well. So I had, it, you know, I loved seeing you score. But when you scored on my team in England, I was like, oh, <laughs> I loved it. But at the same time. Yeah, yeah. It did hurt. It did hurt a yeah, little. Yeah. You so you told us what your favorite goal was. Was there a, a result uh a specific game result that was your favorite a, a particular win in any situation that you will remember for the rest of your life? You know, if the first thing that uh, comes to your mind is the euro. Of course. Uh of course, I had the fantastic, unbelievable memories with uh, Olympiacos, uh, especially the first uh, championship after so many, many years that uh, the team was struggling to, to win the title. Uh, of course, the last championship that uh, we broke the Andrianopoli record in uh, the Greek League with uh, seven uh, consecutive titles, back-to-back titles. Uh, that was fantastic and special memory for uh, my career in Olympiacos as well, that we broke that record. We've taken up so much of your time and we're, we're so grateful and, and humbled by the fact that you've, you've come on to, to talk to us and you've spent so much time answering our questions and you've really given us like so much great stories and, and great advice. And no, it's really been wonderful spending time talking to you and and me personally like whenever we've met face to face we never had the opportunity even this much to talk to each other so i'm really grateful it's a pleasure it was a pleasure don't uh... i'm really grateful to you and i'm really grateful to the guys uh as well and you know i told you when i asked you if you'd be interested to come and do this like these guys with their podcast they're trying to connect not only olibiagos fans around the world, but really a football community that's interested in, in Greek football and, you know, bringing you on here as, as, a, as a Greek footballing legend that you are, I think it's, uh, you know, it's been fantastic talking to you and, and I, I really want to thank you um, deeply for, for your time and taking, uh, you know, taking time to come and speak with us. Thank you so much. No, it's a, it was a pleasure. Uh, it was all, it's always a pleasure because, uh, it's not only about uh, talking football and uh, talking about Olympiacos. It's, uh, it's about the Greeks that uh, live abroad as well. And uh, believe me that uh, this is one of the reasons I accepted uh, the invitation. It's always a pleasure to speak not only for football, but uh, for the Greeks around the globe. And uh, I have realized that uh, when you live uh, away from Greece, you know, you're living abroad, you become even more Greek. You, have, you become even more proud of your country and uh, you, you miss it even more. And uh, that's one of the reasons that uh, I accepted the invitation as well. Uh, so I have to say a big uh, 
stay safe uh, to all uh, Greeks around the world and uh, looking after themselves, whatever team they support, uh, it doesn't matter. Uh, we are all Greeks. We are all uh, in this uh, pandemic uh, together. We need to look after our families, ourselves, in order uh, our kids to have uh, a bright future. So the credit uh, goes to, to them as well. Yeah, thank you so much again, Stelio. It's an honor. You were my hero growing up. You're the reason I wanted to play soccer. You're the reason I wanted to be uh, a forward, play on the wing as an attacking mid as well. Uh, you were, at the, every time I would train, the hardest parts of training, I just remember that I wanted to be you. So thank you so much. Uh, if, you know, I, I told the guys when... I'm flattered. Thank you. <laughs> um, Thanks, we we like to take the time at the end of the podcast. We give our guests a chance to uh, promote or shout out anybody or anything, any organization that they that they want. Uh, is there is there anything that you have for the listeners that you want them to go check out? Uh, a Twitter handle, an organization, uh, anything? Uh, the floor is yours. No, as I said before, you know, uh, uh, more or less, uh, everybody has. Uh, his own mates, his own family uh, mm -hmm. to look after. Especially this, uh, this period is very, very weird with uh, the pandemic. So we need to, to stay safe. We need to, to listen to what uh, the government uh, has to say. We need to listen to the experts and uh, don't uh, take anything uh, far granted. You know, uh, we need to enjoy every moment of our lives and uh, we need to give uh, children that uh, growing up the best example that we can so we can uh, raise uh, good people in the community so um, this is the this is the message that uh, i would like to send and uh, this uh, has nothing to do with colors this has uh, nothing to do with uh, football this uh, has to do with the community that we are living in uh, regarding uh, regardless the, the country that uh, whoever lives the focus is the same and the focus is to to raise our children properly and uh, become uh, good citizens in the in the community thank you again Stelio. very well said and thank you to the listeners especially if you've made it this far uh, please follow us as always you can follow us on twitter instagram at gate 7 intl you can also follow us on facebook again at gate 7 intl as well upcoming wednesday we will be joined by david mooney you can follow him at david mooney and he talks on all things manchester city with the blue moon podcast lambro joined them for a segment covering pre-match for olympiacos versus manchester city in the champions league and he's going to be coming on our podcast for a little bit of post-match uh, discussion that we're going to have with him. Again, thank you everybody for tuning in. This is the Gate 7 International Podcast, and we hope you join in for more podcasts in the future.